Hello, and welcome to The Dentrepreneur Show. I am Dr. D. Todd Russell, a dentist and entrepreneur with over 30 years of experience. On this show, we're going to discuss, engage, and prepare you for taking your practice or business to its end game. How do you grow it? What metrics do you track? How do you know when is the right time and what things you need to have in place to create the best long-term value for your business and wealth for yourself? You need to polish your spirit and prepare yourself no matter how far along you are in your career. Hello and welcome to Dentrepreneur. I'm Dr. D. Todd Russell. And today with me is one of my advisors. I met this gentleman through uh, a friend of a friend. He's been in the dental and private equity side, dental roll-up business, as well as private equity side for uh, his entire career. And I call him probably more to his annoyance, but to my um, my benefit on a relatively regular basis and run things by him. Welcome to the show, Namish Patel. Namish, thanks for joining me, brother. Thanks, Doc. It's great to be here. Namish, so looking back through this, you you founded uh, Vidya Capital and you're still the CEO of it. You rolled up, what was it, about 25 dental practices. I know you teach at the University of Michigan now. You're a dad. And uh, I mean, you've got, you check a lot of boxes and what probably the, for my podcast and my audience, the best thing about you, uh, there's plenty of things. I'm sure that your wife will say there's plenty more than what I'm going to say. But the best thing about you and what I love is I talk all the time about boots on the ground. It's important for management to be present. And when you sort of left the private equity world, I'm going to give you a second to kind of fill in all these blanks. But when you left sort of being a private equity guy, looking at different platforms and different businesses, and you decided to do dental, you yourself became one of the administrators in the front desk working in the practices. That is so powerful to me. You got into the weeds and so many of those who buy and sell businesses don't ever get below the, uh, what we call the 36,000 foot level, right? And mm-hmm. I love the fact that you were in. So you're, you're a dental guy, no matter what anybody says, you don't have a DDS or an RHD after your name, but you're a dental guy, Namish, and I love that about you. So anyhow, fill in those blanks. Tell us a little bit more about you and your career and how you and I connected. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate being called Dog. I take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, so my career, you you kind of hit it on the head. I, I spent most of my career uh, in private equity, you know, and being an investor and advisor to great entrepreneurs, helping them build their businesses. And I really enjoyed that opportunity to work with them, you know, sort of shoulder to shoulder and be that sounding board and an advisor to help them, you know, potentially see things that maybe they're not seeing when they're, you know, heads down in their business. And right. it was, you know, a great experience. And I, I think I, I hit a point in my career, you know, I was about 40 years old. And I said, you know, I spent my whole life thinking I know what I'm talking about, telling entrepreneurs how they can run their business better. Maybe it's time to put my money where my mouth is. And so, yeah, I, I left the fund I was with and just jumped in head first into the down world. And it was a, a great run and uh, really enjoyed it. It's been, it, it, it was fun. And, uh, and we, we exited, as you know, in, in 2020. And so it's been a, a great uh, sort of recoil after that. So, yeah. So, it was yeah. Fun. so again, I, I, many of the listeners have heard me say this, uh, I go off on tangents. So of course yeah. you start talking and immediately, I can't even get to my big questions yet, but how were you received? early stages, you know, uh, let's say I'm, um, you know, Joe Smith, dentist, uh, DDS. And if there was a DDS named Joe Smith out there, it's not, it's just, it's a moniker, but you know, I'm Joe Smith, DDS, and you come flying in the front door. You're now the owner and now you work in the front desk. How are you received by the dental people, the 
I should say you are a dental person, but how are you saved by the clinical staff and the clinical team that's accustomed to not you? Yeah, I would say it took a lot of getting to know people because you sort of come in as soon as you talk about, hey, I got a private equity background. There's a perception that's created and there's a stigma associated with that. And, you know, there's the, you know, the movement that I think is waning, but there's, there was certainly there when I started in 2014, almost 10 years ago, about the sort of anti-corporate sort of dentistry movement, the anti-private equity and it took a lot of relationship building, right? And and I would tell people, what you see is what you get with me. I will, you know, and, and I operate with an, I think, an unusual amount of transparency. I think it's the most efficient way to do things. And so, and, you know, at the end of the day, this is about a relationship that I'm building and I'm willing to invest in it. And hopefully you are as well. And I always treated things as a, as a two-way street. And so... You know, when I got into the dental offices, I think people appreciated that I was changing a light bulb or or shoveling the snow on the uh, on the walk up for patients or really doing whatever it was take. You know, what didn't put on the CEO? Hey, that's not my job description. And so yeah. that's just who I am. That wasn't a show. I just that's how I was raised and that's how I believed in. So yeah, I was uh, received well. I will say, you know, you talked about you know my um, my getting sort of on the ground floor. You know, I have to admit uh, that wasn't my initial sort of inclination. I, I, um, I you know, if, if I'm completely transparent, it's uh, I started at ten thousand feet, not thirty to six thousand feet, but I started at ten thousand feet. Yeah, little and, Piper Cub. And but I realized, you know, very early on that hey, in order to be a true leader of this business, I got to really understand what it's like to live in the dental office because it's. It's rewarding, but also challenging. And so it wasn't initially, it was probably a year in when I really said, all right, it's time to <laughs> time to parachute down those last 10,000 feet yeah. and get on the ground. And I loved it. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, you've told me in the past that that was one of the keys to your success. I know one of your other successful concepts, and we've talked about this, was just creating the culture. Just yeah. hey, you had the vision, you had the core values, and you found the right people to who believed in what you were doing, who 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 were you know they came to you because of those things, and then that just it propels itself. Once you have the right people, it just goes. If you're not aligned, there's going to be a you know a split eventually. You can hold it together with duct tape and sunshine for a while, but then it just it just rips apart. So the way I'm launching my podcast, and you're you know you're one of the first ten guests I'm having is I'm trying to do segments. So there's 10 guests or so, let's say five to 10 guests on different things. For example, we were talking before we started recording, how many of my colleagues couldn't read their own, couldn't even run a report on their own profit loss, let alone knowing the key indicators within it. They need to know that stuff. Even if they rely on their account, that's great. You still have to have an understanding. Now, Again, going back to what you said, and where we're talking about boots on the ground and, and being in the weeds and all that stuff, you can't manage from your profit loss because you need to be there to actually manage, to actually shovel the snow, throw down the salt, right? Help a patient to their car. Those are so important in building a practice. And those are the things that every small business does that doesn't show up on the PL. But still, you got to pay attention to all these facets. So, anyhow, that's going to be another segment is bringing on people in that area and talking about those things. But this one is really geared towards, I'm talking about exits. I've looked at hundreds of practices already and talked to a bunch of practitioners and it's this exit strategy and when to leave your practice. And by leaving, it doesn't necessarily mean stop practicing clinically. It means uh, no longer being the owner. And so 
I've done this thing. I, I think a 35 is the right age. That's my opinion. Some of my other guests have different opinions. In your experience, and I guess the best way to ask this is two different examples. What's the best timeline that you've seen actually executed for a doc to or a small business owner to sell their controlling interest and sort of become an employee? And give me one maybe that was bad and why it was bad based on that that timeline. Yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll start with the the latter. And um, you know, I, I think the later you wait in this industry, I think the harder it is to do two things. One, maximize value for everything that you've worked really long to build. And two, to maximize the options you have um, in different scenarios. And so I think the thing that troubled me and made me, you know, really, uh, I didn't like is, you know, I would see dentists in their 60s and sometimes even in their 70s in a situation where they're still looking to needing to work to put away money for retirement and and they're struggling to keep up in their heads over water heads underwater and you know it's better than anybody dentistry is a physically taxing profession that people don't realize and so as you age in this profession your ability to deliver dentistry and what you could do 10 years prior isn't the same and so you know what we what I found was as dentists were kind of getting to those uh, senior years, the the practices were declining. Not because they weren't trying; they were trying. It just it's harder to keep up. And so, you know, by the time they get into their sixties and seventies, their practice isn't worth what it would have been. You know, had they thought about it earlier. And so, their economic profile changes dramatically. And so, I think the you know the dentists that I really you know, think did it well. And it's it's a little bit of um I'd say to answer your question of when to think about it, I think there's one important criteria that you have to think about is as a dentist and as a dentist owner, many dentist owners were sort of forced into that position because that was the only way to practice dentistry. You went and worked for a retiring dentist out of dental school, worked with them for three to five years, and then you took over the practice. And that was just the way things were done. And so that was what you did, but maybe you know not your real passion. Um, there are dental owners who really love and had the thrill of, of small business ownership and the entrepreneurship, and they enjoy it. And so for those individuals who enjoy it, who are good at it, who doesn't lead to stress, I think they can wait a little bit longer in their career, you know, maybe into their 50s. Because they're probably running a very good practice and it's not creating undue stress in your life. And so their quality of life overall can be very strong. I find them to be the minority of total dentist owners. Most dentist owners are owners because that's just the only option they have to practice their art. And I think what you find in that segment of the dental uh, owners, and again, I think the most of them are in this category, Starting earlier finds the opportunity to, you know, practice what you love, which is dentistry, and offload the really the things that give you stress, managing the small business, the things that don't make you happy. And the economics, you know, start to balance themselves out because all of a sudden you're not burdened down by the things that you don't enjoy or are good at. And you can free yourself up to practice more dentistry, to expand your skill set by investing in your CE and doing other things. And so you find the economics start to get pretty comparable to being an employee for somebody else versus owning your own practice. And so, you know, and I found that quite a bit, you know, when I when I would 
purchase offices with dentists when I say, hey, I'll give you two years. And then about a year into it, they said, hey, Namish, do you, know, do you think I can stay longer? And I'd be, you know, absolutely, we'd love to have you. Because they became, you know, liberated, unleashed from some of those burdens. So if you love the ownership part, maybe you can wait a little bit longer. But I think most dentists, yeah, I would say if not in your 30s, certainly into your 40s, you know, you're kind of 20 years or so prior to, you know, thinking about, you know, really slowing down is a good time to at least start thinking about it and then figuring out what makes the most sense for you. That's a that's a great answer. And I'll tell you what, it ties into one of my other guests who made the point, look, you never know what's going to happen either. Absolutely. So, you know, we all get taught in dental school, we've got these guys selling us disability insurance on the off chance that it happens. Well, what if it does happen? I've talked on my other shows about, you always have to, I've always been a plan A, B, C, and D guy. And if yep. I've thought through plan B, C, and D, and A doesn't work, I can pivot and off I go. Yep. Without question, because I've already I've already put my head through it. You know, maybe it, whatever requires more, you know, some help somewhere else, but nonetheless, always ready to go. I do love that. It's, you're the first one to bring up that point on I'm trying to talk to existing owners or those that want to be owners. But for some of the listeners out there, it's OK to be a career associate, if you will, and never and maybe you love real estate. And you parlay your W-2 dental income into buying houses. And on the weekends, you're a, you're a, you know, a handyman and, and you all of a sudden have 25 homes kicking you residual income. And that's your entrepreneur side. Maybe it's not being a dentist. One is just the vehicle to get to the other. It's all okay. Yeah, it's a great point you bring up because I think there's a stigma around, you know, lifetime associates. Oh, they couldn't, they couldn't hack it on their own. And I'll tell you, you know, in our business, Chief Family Dental, we had some, you know, incredibly successful dentists who just were passionate about dentistry and they weren't passionate about negotiating with suppliers and, and figuring out HR issues and dealing with the insurance payers. They were just passionate about dentistry. And so, you know, it allowed them to, to practice their profession at a level that they would not have been able to had they had the responsibilities of owning a practice. And so that's a decision they made. Again, others, they really enjoy the entrepreneurship of owning their own practice and saying, hey, this is mine. And so to each his own, there's multiple tracks and one's not better than the other. They're just different. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So it was talking about that plan B and what I might have to go through at that time. So my next question then is, who would you surround yourself with? Who, Who helped you? Let's say somebody, somebody listening to this wants like, oh, I love this idea of five to 10 practices and, and that'll get me to 48 to 50 years old, or I've got to, I get myself to a $3 million practice. Now I'm going to sell it. Mindset. I'm the owner. I've been practicing for a while. I'm growing it. Who am I surrounding myself with? What experts, what people do I need to talk to? Obviously, you know, guys like you. And at the end, I'll ask for your contact info. If somebody wants to send you an email, certainly guys like me, but who else, what else do you see? And did you discover were important? Could it be, you know, I mean, the accountants, the, the lawyers, uh, you know, especially ones familiar in the space consultants, for example, um, anybody, what comes to mind when I ask you that? Yeah. I think the first and foremost is I would be, you know, networking in those who've done it before, right? So dentists who have grown, their practices who have grown to multiple locations and they'll give you, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, yeah. um, you know, I tell people when I built my business, the highs were really high and the lows were really low. Mm-hmm. And you got to know both sides of it. Right. And it, and it, um, 
But I think, you know, networking with folks and getting multiple perspectives because, you know, some people will enjoy that grind and the build and some won't. And so, you know, first of all, talking to people who have done it before, who have actually built multiple locations and because there is an issue where it looks really simple, right? You just go out, buy one office, buy another one, buy another one and pay for these things look beautiful. But for any of us who've done it like yourself and myself, there's a lot that goes into it that's un, uh, 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 misunderstood. And so I would say, first and foremost, uh, just continue to talk to people who have done it, who are a few years ahead of it. That's what we did. Uh, you know, we talked to every person that would talk to us about how they built their group of practices, mistakes they made, what, things that they wish they had done uh, that they didn't if they were starting over. And so we, you know, we were not, um, you know, innovators of much. We were really just trying to leverage what others have done and, and put it together and execute. Um, I think, um, you know, the accountants and the and the lawyers tend to have really good experiences with their clients that, that have gone through this and I can share a perspective. I think, you know, that collective group tends to be a little bit more conservative. That's the nature of, of that profession. So I think it's good to have that balance, right, yeah. of maybe a little bit more feet on the ground thinking mm-hmm. versus heads in the sky uh, type yeah. of meaning. And so that's a good balance. And then the consultants, you know, the, the, the consultants that, have, again, who I think have done it before, who are consultants are, are great. They have a real experience base. And, you know, I, I think the the term consultant is very broadly used. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I just warn you, you know, diligence your consultants, right? Make sure yeah. that they've been helpful to others that you respect because, you know, they all sound great on paper, but uh, find the ones that have really been helpful to those in the industry. And, and so, um, yeah. It's an important point you bring up. Do your diligence. You know, yeah. talk to people and think about it because it's a it's a different lifestyle than running a single office. Very different perspective. Again, it's just amazing in talking to people about our space, about dental. And again, I I, I also say small business. Um, Dave Kittle, the Dave Kittle show that I've been on the physical therapy roll up concept. It's all very similar. I called it on his show. I actually called it plagiarism. He called it modeling. But come on. Coaching. Um, I used to coach youth hockey and soccer, and I even coached uh, some uh, women's soccer at the NCAA level. Coaching is plagiarism there too. Absolutely. It's, it's oh wow, that play worked. I'm going to steal that in my next practice. We're going to work on that play. It's okay. It's been done before. Don't reinvent the wheel. Now you can add your own flavor. And I like to think that culture and core values, something that's relatively new to me, it was always innate culture and core values. I just knew what I liked. And I always, my friends, right? You attract same, same. Your employees, you eventually get to the ones that are same, same. But now you put pen to paper and realize, oh, that is my core value. That is my vision. That is all of that stuff becomes really important. And then that's your flavor. Yeah. Right? The metrics to get there and that's your flavor. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, culture and core values is near and dear to my heart. I mean, it was, I spent a significant amount of my time uh, on culture and it's, it's important, particularly in, in our field. Look, we got to acknowledge people don't wake up excited to go to the dentist, right? It's uh, not like going to the spa or going to get your hair done or something. It, it's a, uh, it's necessary evil for most. And so, mm-hmm. You know, what we can do in the dental office is to create a great experience, to create comfort, to ease fear, to ease the anxiety, and and deliver a great patient experience. So our whole ethos was if we had happy patients, everything else would take care of itself. And so yeah. my job, you know, as CEO of our business was to make sure we had happy team members in our offices. So what could we do mm-hmm. to build a great culture? Because if they were supported, 
and had a great vision of what they were delivering and a purpose behind it, I knew our patients would experience that positive energy and everything else would take care of itself. Because yes, you got to make money. The PL has to to work at the end. And you know, I would I would argue, you know, happy patients and a great culture that is reflected in your PL. Yeah, it's reflected through yep. patients' back. It's through patients accepting oh. treatment plans because they have faith in their providers and it all the way through it's reflected, but you got to start with that. And uh, so I know I could talk for hours about culture because it's near and dear. To my I know head. that's why you're on here, buddy. That's why you're on here. Cause we are aligned exactly in that. And our dear friend, Tim Healy, who unfortunately, as you know, passed away a couple of years ago and connected all of us, him and I would sit around and, you know, on a Friday afternoon, crack a bottle of wine, feet up on the desk. And that's all we would talk about was yeah. the it was the culture of the people that we employed i've taken it to calling it the field of dreams you know, spin from the movie right if mm-hmm. you build it they will come if you treat yeah. them well they will stay and yes. that's the part you know in the movie they talk about building it and they come but in business you need to treat them well once you get them in that door and they will stay and then the final trigger i have is i call patients an annuity once you've treated them well, they keep coming back and they keep treating you well. And so you just keep going and going and going. You have to do good quality work too. That's the other thing that I haven't really touched on in, in any of my shows yet. And I will down the road is, is the quality of the practitioner. You've probably seen this with yours. You know, there are some docs, Hey, look at you, you can't do that. You have to deliver good quality work. Don't do the blinders on. It's going to come back to bite you. More importantly, know that you're going to fail. And sorry, I'm again tangents. Everybody knows I do that too much, but know that you're going to fail. Some I'll tell you right now, some of my dentistry fails. I I didn't expect it to. I thought I did a great job. It just it just yeah. did. It's how you fix it. Right. Fixing it is an even better lesson, right? Yeah, absolutely. We were adamant about we never. Everybody makes mistakes. Our culture was we accepted mistakes, but what we didn't accept is not owning them. And Perfect. so, if I make a mistake, hey, I'm going to fix it. Yeah. I'm going to make it right. We would make it right for our patients. We would make it right for our team members. Uh, we would make it right for each other. If one team member failed another team member, but just own all are going to make mistakes. No one's perfect. And so, but embracing that uh, culture. And I think when you do that, it builds a sense of trust amongst your team. It also builds a sense of trust amongst your patients so that, yeah, you know what? Hey, patient, I will we'll admit it. Hey, you know what? We made a mistake here. We're going to fix it. We're going to write it. And you got that patient for life if you treat them well. And um, so absolutely, you know, that's, uh, that's you. part of the business. Different topic here. And just thinking about you, and I don't know how much you can talk about, but I know you're starting a new venture in, in the dental space. You know, so at the end of this, when we give your contact information, I, I mean, Namish, I would love to work with you. Uh, that's, you know, since I've met you, I'm always like, boy, that'd be a great guy to. And so we're going to have to parlay this into probably several rounds of golf this coming summer. Right. So, well, uh, all right. Uh, home and home or something like that. We only live a couple hours apart. So why are we not doing that? But if somebody does, you know, you're, you're building something again uh, in the dental space. And are you are you rinsing and repeating? exactly what you did, the successful points, or are you doing something a little different this time around? You finding something different that maybe the same thing you're rolling up hypothetically, but what are you finding that you're doing differently this time around? Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, you always have to continue to adapt and evolve to the environment that's changing. I've also been a believer that you don't need to be different for the sake of being different. If there's truly an opportunity 
you know, the dental space is, it's a giant industry um, and they're just full of great role models who have done everything. You said plagiarism. I, I put the, you know, there's no pride of authorship for me. I'm happy to take somebody else's proven plan and, and go execute, you know, something. And so our inclination, and we're still in the formative stages of kind of making our plans, but it's to, yeah, basically pursue pretty much what we did before, which is great family practice, general dentistry in a neighborhood setting and continue to do one thing well. And that's while patients, I mean, what got me into this business in the first place, we didn't really talk about it, but what, what I really loved about it was a sad fact. And that's a kind of an odd statement, but it's, it's what inspired me, which is that 50% of Americans don't go to the dentist and the link between oral health and the rest of the body is clear. And I've always been a kind of a health aficionado. And, and so trying to bend that curve, do my small part to help more people get into the dental office and take care of their oral health so that they can live a better life in this planet. Right? That's the opportunity we have. And that's what we try to inspire our team with a, with a bigger vision than just today's schedule and the insurances and all the things that we got to fight. But the big picture is we're trying to get our communities healthy. And so I love that mission. There's still a lot of work to do. And and what I love about that mission is me and the dentist down the street, we don't need to compete for each other's patients. We need to get the other 50% of the people yeah, off the couch yeah. into our offices. So yeah. and we can help each other win. And so I, that's why I love the space. I think it's a lot of opportunities, certainly a lot of challenges. But so I'd say, you know, the long answer to your question is, you know, mostly the same with learnings from what we did the first time. We'll make it better and uh, and hopefully stronger uh, this time around. Yeah. Do you have... um? Your playbook, your operations manual, I'm assuming you're going to have one, same one that you had before, obviously redact the names and change some things around, right? But um, how long did it take you to pull that together? How long did it take you to actually design a dental operations manual? You know, it took us... um, Ever evolving, by the way. We know they're ever evolving, but... Yeah, you get it to a state where what I call it's usable and then it's always iterating, but it probably took us 18 months from when we made a dedicated effort to say, hey, we need this. So it started when we sat in the dental offices. So when I dropped into the dental office, my partner did in, in Illinois, and what we realized was every office was doing things differently. And some offices were doing some things really well and, and struggling in other parts. And so all we did was start to document you know, the best practices that we saw from our different locations and put it into, you know, this is the best way to answer the phone. This is the best way to submit an insurance plan. This is the best way to, to turn a room. Whatever the, you know, the different processes are, and we just started documenting it so that all the offices could benefit from each other's learning. We weren't inventing new ways to do right. things. We were right. Minimizing it. Modeling slash plagiarism, right? Oh, well, and that leads to, so here you are, you've got 10, you're looking at this doc who's got two offices, going to be number 11 and number 12. Did you find often that you were changing things because you found best practices in another location? Absolutely. We would t- I, would, I would tell a doctor, look, we're going to learn a lot from what you do and you're going to learn a lot from what we do. And so, you know, we'll bring you ways to do things that are more efficient than what you're doing today. And you'll bring us things that you're doing that's more efficient than what we're doing. And so right. we don't, we don't claim to have the best answers. We have an answer today. And if we find a better one, we are absolutely going to evolve. And we would do it all the time. And almost every time we bought an office, we would learn something that we would roll out to the rest of our offices. Yeah. And you know, our model was to keep learning. Uh, and yeah. I I think you learn at number one, two, three, 100 and 200. You keep learning. Yep. 
It's so funny. I, and I've explained that to some of my teams in the past because, you know, some of the early stage teams are like, they'll, they'll like, they'll see me and they'll go, what you're changing that again. You're doing something like why all these changes? I'm like, because I found something even better. I've always said what we do is really an amoeba. It's not, it's walls are changing. It's the core is still there, but it's always moving a little bit. And you have to have that adaptability. Again, blinders on reading from the PL only isn't going to do it. It's it's really being aware that you've got to ebb and tide and flow with things. And one month, I, I in fact, I'm actually back uh, practicing a little bit more than I have been. And um, somebody made the comment, wow, doc, your collections this month are incredible. And I said, yeah, that's because I produced more last month. Right. I'm not producing as much this month. And you could see their eyes kind of spin in different directions. Yeah. And I yeah. said, you know, it's it's an ebb and a tide. I did a lot more last month. It's coming in this month. It was finishing this month, you know, and and, uh, and for years I've been talking to certain people about that. And I feel like all I do is bang my head against the wall. Like, you're just not going to see this. But let's say you asked, uh, you you keep touching on things, Namish, and I keep my head, yeah. like I said, we go off on tangents. I've got a list of questions and I never get to, to most of them because of these great conversations. I really appreciate it, though. Um, and that's what makes yeah. this fun. Okay. If you're a seller now, yep. right? I'm a seller now. I'm thinking about selling. Let's call me 58, 55, 47. I've reached a point where I want to sell. Um, okay. What are the, some of the things that I need to get on right now, or I need to really make sure that they're sharpened and focused so I can talk to you about acquisition yep. strategies to become partners with you in some way? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the first thing you want to do is obviously get your house in order, right? Think about when you're trying to sell a house, right? When you try to sell your house, you want to make sure things that maybe you've neglected or let go for a while are sort of back up to par. And so, you know, I think that starts with your team. And so you're happy with your team and the way they're organized. And that doesn't necessarily mean moving people in or out, but potentially but just the way things are structured. I would say, you know, get your, you know, sort of back office in, in order in terms of your receivables and things like that, because that's all your money and you don't want to get discounted by a buyer for that. And then, you know, really, I think the the soul searching needs to take place uh, because as a seller of your practice, you've got to decide a few different things. Um, how long do you want to practice? Do you want to kind of practice and sort of, you know, kind of fade out in time? And is that your plan? Do you want to sell and actually grow with this next organization, potentially take on a more expanded role? Hey, I'd like to get beyond my four walls and maybe be helpful leveraging my expertise that I've got, but I don't want to go out and open another office myself. I'd rather be involved. So, you know, really doing that soul searching to figure out what's important to you in this next step. And the biggest question I would ask sellers, and, you know, I, I would look them in the eyes over, you know, coffee or, or a bowl of oatmeal, and I say, Doc, what are you going to do tomorrow when you no longer own your practice outright and it's you and I making the decisions for the first time and it's not yourself? Yeah. And that's the the sort of gulp moment, right? Because these de- the, the owners have made every decision by themselves. They've never had to consult anybody. And all of a sudden, that flips on its head, and they've got to ask permission technically. Like, and it's uh, making sure that you're comfortable that that's coming. And I think most dentists that I met understand that really well, mm-hmm. but some didn't. And they hadn't really thought through, you know, what that sort of means. But, I, you know, going from a sole practitioner to a partner or an employee, it's a big emotional transition. Yeah, and so, sure. 
you know, just making sure that you've thought through that and understood that. And that doesn't, that's not going to happen overnight, right? So letting that simmer for a little bit and making mm-hmm. sure that's a great way to prepare yourself for the conversations that you, you're going to have. And, and so, you know, again, defining what's important to you going forward. Are you going up? Are you going flat? Are you going down? And there's no right answer, but what is your plan? Right. Then, you know, just understanding that partnership, you know, that, that uh, no longer making all the decisions and then go out and find the right group for you. Look, everyone's going to pay roughly the same price, yeah. right? Um, go find the right partner for you. That's going to allow you to achieve your goals. And go back to culture, go back to vision, go back to core values. Do they align? Exactly. And, and, you know, you can't fake that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess at this point, just to say, thank you, Namish. And I really appreciate being on the show. I try to keep my shows only to about 30 minutes. Uh, some podcasts are longer. I think that's enough time for a guest to kind of get some great questions. And that way, what it does is I'm making notes. There's a billion other questions I always have for you, but then I can invite you back. I can ask those questions later rather than draw this whole thing out. But still, I want to thank you. And I always, before we go through the, you know, give them everybody your contact information, what you want people to reach out to you, how they can is... I asked people, give me some things that have inspired you. I had one guy read me a poem, uh, books, personalities, whether they're famous or infamous. Um, my inspirations, I share this all the time. That I worked for two docs, what I call heaven and hell. One that was great to his patients and terrible to his employees and ones that was just the opposite. So in one way, they inspired me, one to be a great clinician and the other one to be a, a great boss or a great coworker, if you will. And then the Vince Lombardi speech that I got from one of these docs, um, which is uh, what it takes to be number one. Now, there's many other things, books I've read, et cetera. But how about you? What's, what inspired you to get into everything, not just dental, but, you know, get going? <laughs> well, you might. this picture behind me is uh, I used to sit in my conference room and it, it's a picture of, uh, of the Bhagavad Gita and in Kurukshetra. It's, it's an ancient Vedic literature. And it's been a source of life wisdom for me. I've actually had a copy of it in my desk drawer for my whole career. And, you know, what, what inspired it is, is, you know, we're all on this search for happiness. And uh, it comes in many varieties. And don't let anybody define that variety for you. Uh, you know, and, and so I, you know, I've always been inspired by looking at the bigger picture of, of things in this world. And, yeah, your career, your family, your society, relationships, all those uh, important, but there's a bigger purpose for all of us, and so, and so that's what's always inspired me. And so, you know, my pursuit in dental was always, you know, kind of in line with that bigger picture goal. And so, don't lose sight of that big picture while your head's down building a great dental company, dental organization. There's a great big picture out there for us to go after and go get it. Fantastic. I'd love that. And I love that question. That's my favorite closing question because I get different answers and none of them are wrong, all of them are right. It's beautiful. Yeah. Name is Patel. You are the man among men. I can't thank you enough for being on my thank show. You. If someone did want to reach out to you, what are a couple simple ways for them to get to you? Sure. And uh, thank you for your time. Uh, this is awesome. I really enjoyed it. I'm happy to come back. Yeah, you can reach out to me. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, N-A-I-M-I-S-H Patel. Uh, you can also email me, which is my first name. Again, N-A-I-M-I-S-H, uh, middle initial N, Patel at gmail.com. And yeah, I look forward to collaborating with you and, and, and your listeners in any way I can be helpful. And uh, you know, it's, it's a great industry, and um, I'm glad you're doing this. It's a great service to, 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 the, to the dental industry, so thank you. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show. 
Everybody, thanks for listening today. This is the Dentrepreneur LLC show. I have to throw that LLC in there, name is because somebody else actually had the name. So I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> Excuse me. But anyhow, these listen for my show uh, on my YouTube channel, Dentrepreneur LLC, on Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. I am Dr. D. Todd Russell, and uh, this concludes this episode. And please look for another one next week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Please follow or subscribe to this show on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube. If you would like further information or to meet with me one on one and discuss your practice, please feel free to contact me through my website, DentrepreneurLLC.com. Many more exciting guests and topics are headed your way. 